Uh, we are in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Now, I promise you I'm not trying to lead you astray. The stuff I mentioned two weeks ago, we're not getting to that this morning. Uh, it's farther down in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is a little long. The section that we're going to cover, though, is very important. And so I'm not, I'm not trying to string you along a little bit, but listen, we'll get there. All right? So uh, uh, we'll make that happen. Today's passage, by the way, by theologians, uh, there's a section in this passage that literally uh, uh, books and books and books have been written on. I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but I want to make sure you understand in context, very important, you understand in context what is taking place. So hopefully you guys are ready for some hard work because here we go. This is Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. So if there is any, if there is any, any. All right? And this is him reaching out to these people, these people in Philippi. He's going to name four things. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So he's writing them going, listen, hey guys, my audience, if any of these things are true for you, any of them then this is what I want, and this is what he says, complete my joy. And again, we've used joy as the hallmark of this whole thing, complete my joy. Now, what does that mean, complete my joy? Uh, you know, witness more, uh, you know, serve more. Nope. He's saying complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. If you have any of these things, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now, this theme, remember, there wasn't the chapter and verses back when Paul wrote this letter. He just wrote the letter. But back at the end of chapter 1, he had already started this theme in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So let me tell you what we found out here. This is Philippi's issue. As we're going to find out later in chapter 2, he hears from what's happening in the church in Philippi, and this is their issue. Their issue is there is disunity in their ranks. They are not of one mind. There are fractions or, or, or factions, so to speak, that are not keeping them unified. Again, he brings that at the end of chapter, uh, end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, says, hey, listen, I need you to be of one mind. Paul is going to make this absolutely clear. So let's go back to verse 2. Complete my joy. And he's saying this, church, if you say you care for me, which you're going to find out at the end of chapter 2 that they do, he's saying, if you really care for me, deal with this issue. Work on being unified. Work on being of one mind. Work on the fact that you're not doing different things and that you're excluding people or you're leaving people out, but you have come together under one mind. I am telling you, Paul has found the issue that he wants to share with this church. 
make my joy complete church by getting on the same page. So, what do we have? Verse 3. How do we do this? So Paul says, hey, get on one mind. How do we do this? Paul gives us the answer. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Wow. See, the thing is, um, to make you significant, to see that your desires and the things that are important to you are more important than me, that's a big step. It takes me getting out of my head and going, what is important to Antoinette? What's important to Dave? What's important to Anne? What is it? What, what is happening? What do I need to do? Because if I only want church to look like what I want it to look like, then I'm putting my stuff forward. And the concept becomes like, how do we work together? And in this, I'm making your needs, your wants, more significant than my needs and my wants. That's how we find unity. Because it's not about me. It's not me getting my shoulder in front of you and making sure that my voice is heard. But about hearing what would bless you, what would encourage you. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant. I want to tell you about a godly man by the, by the name of Marion Hayes. Not many of you would know him. Some of you got the privilege of meeting him. Uh, Marion is with the Lord. But Marion was in his 80s. Marion, by the way, had started many churches, preaching many churches, and he came to the church that I had started. He was almost there from the beginning. I'm going to say this to you as clearly as I can. Marion did not like our worship. We didn't sing hymns, we didn't sing all four stanzas. We didn't sing out of the hymn book, and we didn't sing with an organ. Do you understand what I'm saying? But let me tell you something. Marion Hayes knew that our music was too loud, right? And yet he would sit on the front row and sing with all of his heart. Why? I talked with Marion. I go, Marion, I, I know this is not your favorite music. I tried to soft land it. He goes, nope. He goes, but it's theirs. He goes, I'm going to heaven. I've sang the old rugged cross. I've sang my songs. If this is what's going to bring them to the throne of Jesus, then I'm here to sing their songs. I am putting them forward. I am making them significant. They don't need to sing my songs. They don't need to come to Jesus the way I did. There's no organ in here. There's no stained glass window. Marion just had this incredible heart about him. And yes, it was too loud. And, and by the way, there's one thing he would do. If we ever sing anything close to a hymn, he would run up on stage and go, good job, guys, good job. I think he thought that by doing so, that maybe we would sing more hymns, right? <laughs> but literally, Marion would just be there. He goes, Jeff, if this is what these young kids need, I'm singing. It takes maturity to go, they're more significant than me. It takes maturity to go, if this is what they need, how do I honor them in this way? If this is what would bring glory to God, how do I do this? Marion got that. And every Sunday to the day he died, sat in the front row and sang with all that he could. I'm not picking on music, folks. We can pick on any subject. Should the pastor wear a tie or not wear a tie? Should we have robes or not? Have? There's been fights over things for years. We fight over things that I'm telling you right now, God doesn't care about. He doesn't. I will give you an example. I was a part of a church. We were doing a new church building. 
I kid you not, this is the absolute truth. The building was held up three months because the painting committee couldn't decide if the beam should be painted on the outside or on the bottom. Three months held up by the painting committee because they couldn't agree. I don't think Jesus cared. For those of you who don't know that when I planted our first church, I went in and painted the walls orange, yellow, green, and purple, and the gaudiest colors that were there. Here's what I knew about this, folks. No one liked the colors, therefore we were all unified. It was great. It was awesome. We had unity in the fact that none of us could stand the colors when we first started doing it. But see, here's, that, here's my heart. What does that matter? And we get into these things and we fight fights when we're going, wait a minute, what does it matter to put God first? There's a meme going around where a woman goes, hey, the worship didn't speak to me today. And Francis Chan's quote was, that's good because we weren't singing to you. <laughs> see, we are singing to God. And I'm telling you what, God says he likes a joyful noise. And if people are singing a joyful noise and it is for his glory and from their heart, he receives it as worship and he receives it as incense. So yes, you can look around and hear some of the music and go, boy, that's a joyful noise. That's a good political way to get around that. But God is glorified. Folks, we got to find out what is Christ about? What is Christ about? And how do I make others more significant? Listen, Folks, we don't do everything I want to have done in this service. We don't. The staff gets together and they, they push. And I'm like, ah. Oh. But we are in this place of like, what are we going to do to reach this world that is outside of us? And how do we not make it about ourselves? Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But I like my interests because they're mine. But how do I set those aside and go, what is the interest of that person? What's the interest of this person? What would touch them? It's a humble heart. And when I put myself in that position, then I get to glorify his name. And I get a broader view of what God wants to have done. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, have this mind. See, he's trying to get them to be unified in their thinking of what is important to God. Have this mind. That is the context of what we're looking at in this passage. Paul's been writing about it now for a few verses. Get on one mind. Work side by side. Make sure your focus is together. Make sure that you're connected. Have this mind among yourselves. Watch this. Which is yours in Christ Jesus? Now, what does that mean? Which is yours in Christ Jesus? I see different uh, jerseys. Here's mine over here. I got my Dallas jersey. Listen, there are so many things that separate us. Sports, uh, music, politics. But there's a unifying factor in Jesus Christ. We can come into this room from different backgrounds, different experiences, different cultures, different languages, and because of who Jesus is, be unified in what he's doing. I've been around the world. I've been to Haiti. I've been um, to Russia. And even though they speak different languages, different world system going on, 
Christ unified us in a common heart and a common purpose. So what happens is, is they says, look, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, meaning Christ's mind, the things that matter to him, is where our mind should go, and we become unified doing the things of him. So let me say it to you this way. He is the unifying factor. His desires become all our desires. His wants become all our wants. And his work becomes all our works. And if we are spending our time doing that, then we don't have time to get into all these things that separate us. And I'm telling you, folks, it's not that I want every one of us to be doing the same thing. Some of you would love to be a part of one of our home churches. But for some of you, that's too much. Some of the people that would come from home churches, this would not be their favorite thing. I'm not asking us all to do the same thing. I'm trying to say, but I'm telling you what, God is about home church. God is about reaching out to people. Last night, Young Life had their banquet. Beautiful, beautiful banquet. Woohoo, Young Life. And by the way, special to those people who will walk on a high school campus and love on those teenagers. Not all of you are called to that, but should we get behind those who are? Yes. Not all of us are called to home church. Should we get behind those who are? Yes. See, we start finding out where is God and what is he doing? And how do we find ourselves unified under what would please him? What would please him? I want you to see what he said to his disciples. This is John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You need to know that Jesus has told us all of his desires for us. To take care of widows and orphans in their distress. To be there for each other. To carry each other's burdens. To give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus to serve each other. We know where Jesus' heart is. And yet we find ourselves arguing about other things that honestly would not matter to him. How do we keep that focus? Go back to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who? Who? Now that who is really important. Because this is what's about to happen. I need to explain something to you. And I hope, if I don't explain this well, please come to me because I need you to grasp this. Every theologian believes that what happens at this moment is, is that you have Paul taking, at the time, what would have been a hymn, just like we just sang, and inserts this hymn into this letter. So let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. Almost everyone in this room has heard the song um, Amazing Grace, right? You've heard that song. So if I was writing to someone about grace, it would not be odd for me to go, hey, and there's a song that talks about grace, and it goes like this, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me, right? So if I use the words of that song, it would be telling and supporting what I believe about grace. Does that make sense? So what Paul does is that he has a purpose. He wants to show, listen, he wants to show that Christ showed us through humility how he became unified with the Father and the Spirit for their common purpose. So he uses this song. Here's what I want you to know. 
there has been so much written on, on literally um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. This is not a book on the book of Philippians. This is a book on the six verses we're talking about. This is a whole book just on these six verses. In all my commentary work, it goes on for chapter after chapter, breaking down this song that we're talking about. But let me tell you what I think the problem is. It is an absolutely beautiful hymn. Take it 6 through 11. Take it out, read it, understand it. It's beautiful. But here's the problem. The context is the unity of the church. And then you start reading this, and all of a sudden your focus goes to this, and you forget what this is about. Does that make sense? Because this is, it's beautiful. So almost every time when someone goes to Philippians, they can't wait to get to this to talk about verses 6 to 11, but they forget to keep it in context. My goal is to keep it in context today. So that's what we're going to do. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read to you all 6 to 11. I'm going to go back. I'm going to explain to you it in context. So this who is so important because this who goes, he's the example, right? Who, and here we go. Complete my joy. Uh, by the way, remember, I'm just trying to take you back. This is um, verse 2. Um, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That's the focus. So here we go. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality God, with God some, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right? That is a chunk of Scripture. And as soon as you start reading it, you're like, wow, this is incredible. God was in heaven and he came down as man and he died for us and now he's up in heaven, right? And so your focus goes there. But remember, it starts with the word who. So let me explain to you in context. In verse 6, it says this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is what we need to know. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had a unified vision of saving mankind from their sins. For that to happen, one, who was Jesus, would have to submit or humble himself and leave the glory of the Godhead to come down and be the sacrifice that we're talking about. So when it says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he didn't hold on to his equality. No, I'm not going down there. I'm just as equal as all the rest of you. Why should I go down? But he let go of that, and look what the next line says, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Jesus lets go of his glory. By the way, most likely his desire. His desire would have been to stay in heaven. I'm telling you, there's not a part of him I would really want to come down and become us. But for us, he was willing to humble himself and let go of that. Because he believed, listen, the unified vision of the three of them being God was worth it. So he humbled himself and he emptied himself. And by the way, being born in the likeness 
of men. This Jesus would become incarnate. The word is where we get the word carne, flesh. He became flesh so that he could be the one that becomes the sacrifice for us. And being found in human form, and being found in human form. Now, I'm only doing that part because, again, he would have to take on our form, right? So he was born, just like all the rest of us, got a body. I'm sure he was awkward, right? Skinned his knee. His mom had to kiss his boo-boo, right? Probably was a little squeamish around the girls when he got a little older. Maybe he had crooked teeth or bad breath. Folks, he just became one of us. Watch this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Let's go back there. Sorry. Ooh. You have to love when this thing doesn't work. Um, uh, he humbled himself and became one of us. All right. Here we are in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made perfect. This is Hebrew. I'm sorry. I switched to Hebrews 2. I, I'm sorry. It's Hebrews 2, 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So he did know what it was like to be us. Well, look what it says. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. We don't have a God that just came down and walked around. We have a God who came down and knows what it's like to be betrayed. Knows what it's like to be hurt. Knows what it's like to have people turn their back on him. Watch this. This next line is so powerful. In the service of God. See, his humility allowed him to be in the service of God and God's plan. Meaning, he didn't make his agenda the the agenda. He made God's agenda the agenda. To make propitiation for the sins of people. I am so glad that the book, the SV version, does not try to translate that word. It is a good word and you should learn this word propitiation. I know when you say it, it sounds like you're saying something bad. You're not. Propitiation. Let me tell you what it stands for. To have a propitiation means to appease the wrath of God by sacrifice. Jesus takes on the wrath of God by his sacrifice so that you and I can be free. Okay? It's a beautiful word. So let's go back. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death to the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So why is that important? It was not enough that he just came down and walked amongst us, died an old man and went back to heaven. No, he became the propitiation. He comes in, and listen, I'm just going to make this so you can understand. He went to the point of letting his creation, listen to me, letting his creation beat him, Spit on him, crucify him, and kill him. It wasn't just that he came down and lived amongst us. He let us, through our sin, spit in his face, pull out his beard, beat him above, about the head, and nail him to a cross. Listen, because he was unified in the vision of the Father. And he humbled himself to that vision. This was not his desire. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 42. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He did not want this. He didn't want to be nailed to the cross. He didn't want to know my sin. 
nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He became of one mind and came unity to the purpose of that one mind and submitted to the Father to the point of death. So let's go back to verse 9 of chapter 2. Therefore, that therefore, by the way, there's, just so you know, chapter 2 has a lot of therefores. They're all very important. Because he submitted himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now why is that? Because of this. Watch this, church. Because he was willing to humiliate himself, come down to us, and let us kill him through that act of willingness to be submissive to the Father, God raises him up and gives him glory. The reason Jesus gets glory is that he was willing, willing to be submissive to the Father. So what happens for us is that we come in and we go, I want it my way. And God goes, um, I need you to be like Christ who came to this earth, died for you, so that you would have life. He's the example. That's how Paul is using this hymn to underline that if you need to know why would I have one mind, why would I let go of my desires and let other people have their desires? Because Christ did it for us. He made the unity of what was happening between the Father, Son, and the Spirit significant. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, this is what we have. What we have is that Paul, in context, is saying this Church, Philippi, make my joy complete. How? become unified. How do we do this? We put others' needs before our own. We submit to others. We make what God says is important the most important thing. And by the way, if you need an example, church, Jesus, who emptied himself, came down, died on the cross, I have exalted him because he did the act of letting the will of the Father be the paramount thing. We as a church need to have the same heart. And I want us to go back and see, Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves. So what am I trying to say to us, church? Church, we have got to figure out what it looks like to put others before ourselves. We've got to figure what it looks like to make sure that we're doing the things that would glorify God, not just make us happy. Not just be here to feed us, or I like this style of music, or I like it when we do this kind of thing. How can I have a heart that looks out to the needs of other people? How do I use my gifts? How do I use what God has called me to do? How do I reach my inner circle? I'll use this as the last illustration of this. Um, I use this a lot because it helps me to understand something. Um, every parent 
either will go through this or has gone through what I'm about to explain to you. Let's say we'll use. Let's say you grew up in the 50s and you like bebop music, or you grew up with the Beach Boys or everything else, and you like that. There comes this moment where there was a time when you got to be in charge of the radio. Remember when you had the charge of the radio because they couldn't get back there or they were in a baby seat and they just had to listen to your music? And then one day they moved up to the front seat and they took over the radio. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they're listening, and they're listening to stuff and you're like, that's not music, that's just noise. You guys ever say it, right? You get, you get that feeling? And you try to get them to listen to your music, but they give you the eye. And before you know it, you listen to their music pretty much all the time. You guys understand what I'm talking about? It's just kind of this process. Grandma even will start listening to the kids' music. Right? All right, this is what you like, this is what you like. And these little pieces of joy <laughs> affect our vacations, right? They affect our, our holidays. They even affect the cars we buy. We can't buy the car we want to buy. We got to buy the car they have to have for them, right? By the way, this is true of every generation except one place, traditionally, and that is the church. We say to a younger generation, come back in time to 1940 and learn to sing the songs that I sang. Sit in the chair that I, that I sat in. Wear the clothes that I wore when I came to Jesus. Every other place, we move for the next generation, but the church seems to be the place that says to the next generation, you've got to come back and be where we're at. And again, I want to quote Marion Hayes. No, let's find out what's going to reach them for Jesus and lift them up because I've already sang the old rugged cross. Folks, I just want us to have a heart, a heart, that changes to see how do I put others' needs first? How do we do that? And that's my encouragement as we look at this. We are in this journey together, and I want you to understand, again, you can take verses 6 to 11, take them out, look at them, have incredible quiet time on them. It's a powerful passage. But that's not the context Paul's using. He's using that hymn to say, Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to put another first. May it be true for the church in Philippi, and may it be true for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your compassion on us. That, Father, every generation, there's, there's going to be a new way in which those who have been lost can be found. Father, let us be those who, who love others and put them first. And, Father, find out how are they going to find you. Dear Jesus, thank you for this passage where we get to see that you, you emptied yourself. You became one of us. You let us kill you. And now you sit at the right hand of God and you are worthy of praise. So Father, receive this today. Thank you. And I love you, and I pray this all in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.